Our reading is taken from Colossians chapter 4, verses 2 to 6. Devote yourselves to prayer, being watchful and thankful. And pray for us too, that God may open a door for our message, so that we may proclaim the mystery of Christ, for which I am in chains. Pray that I may proclaim it clearly, as I should. Be wise in the way you act towards outsiders. Make the most of every opportunity. Let your conversation be always full of grace, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how to answer everyone. This is the word of the Lord. Good evening. It is amazing to stand here for the third time today and to to see again a church with a lot of people. So it's and to see new faces, faces I recognize from the time we lived here. So it's really good to be in your midst. And together, to be at the feet of Jesus, to listen to his word. And I want to start with a question. Just for yourself, reflect. When was the last time that you felt really ashamed? You don't have to share that with your neighbors. (laughs) Just for yourself, when was the last time that you really experienced shame? Now, what I would like to ask you is to to share with your neighbor what you now think shame is. So you don't have to to explain your experience what you thought of, but what is shame? Can you try to describe, just like we described mission at the beginning of this service, what is shame? Can you just, with your neighbor? Okay, I guess that you did not find this an easy, uh, easy question. Describing what shame is is not easy. Yet it is a very profound feeling, a very profound emotion. Keep that in mind. Let's now go to the, to the Bible text that we just read. Over the last weeks, you have been studying Paul's letter to the Colossians. Now, to catch up with you, that is what I have done over the last week. And truly, what a beautiful letter it is. Paul starts 
with praying for the Colossians, a group of people he'd never met. But he has heard about their faith. And therefore, he thanks God. And soon this prayer of thanksgiving becomes a song, a hymn to Christ, about Christ as the image of God. Christ who was from the beginning, from creation, and also Christ, the firstborn of the dead. Christ who brings peace and reconciliation. Christ who conquered death and who is now the head of the church. And, says Paul, in Christ, those who believe in him, those who follow him, have also died. They have died to themselves, to sin, and now they are raised with Christ. They are raised to life, to an unshakable and eternal hope. The rest of the letter then describes the implications of this life in Christ calling to a life of truth in Christ, warning against false teachers, and describing the daily walk of life, a life of truth in the day-to-day relationships and realities. And it is in this last part that the text of tonight is placed a text calling to devotion, to intercessory prayer, and to wise and gracious conduct. What was the day-to-day reality in Colossae? Christians were a minority in a cosmopolitan, multicultural, multi-religious society. Being a Christian was out of the ordinary. It set people apart from the wider community because of their different morals and different attitudes. They even had slaves and barbarians as members. What a shame. Who wanted to be associated with slaves and barbarians? And were they not following someone who was killed on a cross? Were they not following a criminal? How could this ever be an honorable group? How could they ever say they have wisdom, that they have encountered the truth? Shame and honor were some of the main driving forces of the culture of that time and place. And the shame of the cross was excruciating. And weakness, a proof of total worthlessness. Is this shame something we might recognize in our society today?
Can we have the next slide, please? Facebook has been in trouble over the last weeks with privacy breaches, bad decisions, policy decisions. But let me confess to you, I still use Facebook. And I continue to enjoy it. Facebook is for me a platform where I can meet people. You know, in my work, in my travel, I meet so many people from so many places in, in the world. Facebook is just a great way to connect and to keep connecting. Yet, at the same time, I do realize that Facebook often shows only half or maybe even less than half of the story. Facebook all too easily becomes a platform on which we show our happy side on which we create an over-positive image of ourselves. Because being happy, that is what is the norm. Having friends and being popular is what is valued. Can we have the next slide, please? And what if we do not manage to be happy? or popular, then we have failed and we experience shame. Shame that tells us that we do not measure up. Shame that not just tells us we do things wrong, but that we are wrong, that we are a failure. Brene Brown in one of her TED Talks, states that shame is an epidemic in our culture and it leads to loneliness, depression, and exclusion. It too often leads to the extreme form of self-exclusion, which is suicide. Could we have the next slide, please? Now, what would you feel if this picture was about you? People laughing. What do they see? Are they mocking you? Or will they, maybe worse, treating you with silent contempt? Shame is an all-pervasive emotion, and fear of judgment, exclusion, and loneliness shake the foundation of our being. And now imagine, again, if this was you, about your involvement in Sago, church, something you said about your faith, Last week, I was talking to a theology student in our faculty in Groningen who shared that she found it really difficult to discuss her faith. This is in the theology faculty, right? That she found it really difficult to share her faith with some of the other students, especially those who had more liberal, liberal views of God and the Bible. She said... Their arguments seem really intelligent 
and philosophical, which makes me feel naive at best and stupid at worst. One day, when I, she feels young, and she says, when I have experienced and seen more of the world, will I too give up my faith in the bodily re resurrection of Jesus? Will I too come to the conclusion that even though it did not really physically happen, it is still real for me, but just for me? In general, she says, it just makes me very quiet. I wonder what the truth is. And I don't want to lose face. If they would find out, what then? Can we have the next slide, please? Maya Angelou. An Afro-American writer, I think many of you will know the book. Uh, I know why the caged bird sings. If you don't know it, it's an, uh, a recommendation. In this book, she tells the story of abuse and shame in her life. And she says, There is no greater agony than bearing an untold story inside of you, a secret. Shame Fear of being found out, isolation, they are emotions that we should never underestimate. Let us read carefully what Paul is writing to the Christians in Colossae, how they should live their lives in their context. Remember, a context where shame and honor are driving forces as a minority group where their wisdom is doubted and their honor is questioned. First of all, Paul calls the Christians to persisting prayer so that they will stay alert and watchful. It is in prayer that the Christians will be able to see the real truth. It is, it is in their encounter with God that they, will that they will discover real wisdom. Through prayer, we can look beyond the outward appearances, see the real reality. And, says Paul earlier in the letter, this real wisdom is revealed in the mystery of Christ. This is not normal human wisdom. This wisdom does not grow naturally in our human understanding. This is not a beautiful but human philosophy. This is the wisdom that comes from God. And in this wisdom, we come to see the death is not the end. Because Christ is the first to conquer death. In this wisdom, we come to see that the shame of the cross is turned into eternal glory. That vulnerability 
is the strength of God. The reality of this is illustrated by what Paul writes next. He asks the Christians to pray for him. He asks them to pray that God will open the door for him to be a witness to, I quote, declare the mystery of Christ for which I am in prison. Paul is in prison because of his faith in Christ, because of his Christian testimony. And from that prison... He's not asking for an open door to freedom, for the restoration of his honor, but for an open door for even more Christian witness. Life in prison is not easy. It is shameful. It breaks our relationships. It makes a person lonely. But Paul still does not ask for prayer for himself. He asks for prayer so that he can continue to do exactly that which brought him into prison. Paul may carry shame in the eyes of humans. For him it is a batch of glory. And rather than focusing on his own needs, he focuses on the needs of the people he encounters on their need to be reconciled, to find peace in God. And then, the Christians from Colossae should not only pray and find true wisdom, they should not only pray for Paul so that he, in his weakness and vulnerability, will continue to be able to witness to the wisdom of God and his power, the Colossian Christians also need to conduct themselves as wise people, as people of grace and kindness. It is one thing to know that you have the real truth and to insist on that. It is easy to become arrogant. Some people say one can seek to win an argument and lose the person. Real wisdom, wisdom of God, is not only found in wise words of truth, but also in an attitude that resembles and follows the attitude of Christ. In chapter 3, Paul says that the person becomes the image of Christ. The question is, when people see us or hear us, what do they see? Do they see Christ? Do they see love, grace, the truth of Christ in us? Let me share with you two examples of people I know and by whom I have been deeply impressed. One of them, let us call him Abdul, is a Palestinian Christian who grew up in the West Bank but now lives in the UK. 
when he wants to go home to visit his parents, he has to travel all the way to Amman in Jordan because he's not allowed to land in his own country in Tel Aviv. When he wants to travel uh, to Jerusalem or to other places, he always has to pass through a checkpoint where he is regularly humiliated, ridiculed by the young soldiers. His family and friends have lost valuable land to the Jewish settlements. And yet, I have never seen him bitter. I've heard him tell about the troubles, but he never speaks about the people as if they are his enemies. On the contrary, Abdul continues to work towards reconciliation. He longs for all to hear about the love and grace of God in Christ. Many of his fellow Palestinians think that he is foolish and weak. But Abdul is convinced that true strength and hope are only to be found in God's reality. And that is what he lives and speaks, regardless of the humiliation, pain, and suffering. The second person I want to share is an American man. Let us call him John. John was involved in theological education and had a responsible leadership role in a school. One day, it became clear that the school had made some wrong decisions and that money was used inappropriately. John found out who was responsible for it, for his mistake, but he also found out that if that person would be exposed and then, of course, lose his job, his marriage would break down and the whole family would suffer. At that point, John decided to not expose the culprit with the consequence that he himself received much of the blame. Even the culprit himself put blame on John. But John, out of an attitude of grace and love, out of love for this family and for God, did not retaliate. He was carrying shame in the eyes of the community, but knew that it was glory for God. He was able to do this because he was deeply convinced that Jesus carried all our shame on the cross and that God not only raised him from the dead, but also glorified him, put him at his own right hand. To me, John is the image of Christ. Now, I suspect that some of you, if you are like me, are a bit skeptical. We have heard sermons before in which we were told not to be ashamed, in which we were reminded of the call to go and to share the gospel, even if it means 
that we will have to suffer for Christ, since Christ suffered for us. And true, these are important sermons. But at the same time, I am a human being with a heart that longs for connection, for recognition, for relationships. I am a woman who is afraid of judgment and loneliness. I hate shame and exclusion. And things are not always that clear to me either. What is wisdom? What is truth? Am I naive rather than wise? I'm sure that for Paul, Abdul, and John, this was the same. So how are they able to make these choices? What makes it possible for them to stand up for what is right? How do they manage to have this Christ-like attitude and to witness to his love and life? What struck me in what Paul writes in the following passage, what we didn't read, is the sheer amount of names mentioned by Paul. Tychicus will bring the news, and he is a brother dearly loved. Onesimus, also a brother. Aristarchus, a fellow prisoner. Mark, a cousin of Barnabas, a co-worker and friend. Justice, who sends greetings, and so do Epaphras, Luke, and Demas. Paul may be in prison, living hard times, but he's not alone. He feels connected to many, and many are eager to hear his news. Paul is part of a new community in which he is loved and the community that prays for him and encourages him. Shame and judgment isolate, but Paul is far from isolated. He has lots of brothers and sisters. And what is more, this is not just the human community. It is the community of which Jesus is the head. Christ, the resurrected Lord. Christ, victorious. And this community of Christ has a new code of honor. Different from the code of honor from the world around them. Totally different. In this community... All are children of God. And it does not matter if they are slave, barbarian, foreigner, refugee. It does not matter if they are intelligent or have a learning disability. It does not matter if they are rich or poor. All are united by the same grace of God. His love and reconciliation. In this community, wisdom 
is service. Strength is vulnerability. Honor in kindness and graciousness. And such a community is the antidote to shame and exclusion. We are called to be such a community, a contagious community, a community of grace, wisdom and truth to which people would want to belong. Then we are called to mission in newness of life, to witness to the truth in our society. We are not called on our own as a lonely individual. We are called as a community and from within that community to live and speak true wisdom. And as such a community, we pray for each other. We encourage each other. And if needed, we comfort each other and help each other to rediscover what true wisdom is. It is in this community that we can share our story of shame and leave it there. And it is from within this community that we can go out and share the story of God, the love and hope of Christ. To come back to the quote from Maya Angelou, but with a twist. May there never be the agony of the untold story of Christ, of his love and life inside our community. So let us go out to love, live, and speak this story in our work, school, street, club, in the society, each one of us, and as a community. Amen.